0: Hi and welcome to another episode of Lead Like You Give a Damn, where I speak with leaders and leadership experts who have cracked the code on leading with authenticity, purpose and effectiveness. This show is sponsored by ScaleYourLeadership.com, providing no-fluff, self-paced courses to help you scale your leadership impact. You can discover the impact of your leadership by taking a short assessment at ScaleYourLeadership.com. Now on with the show. I am your host Dave McKeon, and my guest today is Penny Zenker. Penny is a focusologist and she works with. Individuals and leaders to help them control and direct their thoughts, feelings and actions toward meaningful directions. She's also a keynote speaker, a business coach and a best-selling author. Listen in as we talk about what it means to be a focusologist, uh, the importance of understanding which 20% of your actions lead to 80% of your results and why it's more important to focus on ownership rather than accountability. As always make sure you're subscribed to get notified of each episode as it comes out. Let me know if you have any questions or comments and I'll always please enjoy the show. Well, hey, Penny, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to
1: the show. How are you today? Doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to have our conversation. First and foremost, and where I want to start is that fantastic title. You are a focusologist. What is a focusologist?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I came to this because I'm constantly having sort of the same lesson. And so I came to realize that this is the gist of it. And at a high level, it's really what helps me and helps others to think act and be more strategic right aligning our goals and our tasks whatever they might be right it might be personal it might be professional but just sort of knowing what's most important to focus on and I have sort of this formal definition that I've made so I'll give that to you as well if that's good
0: definitely what is
1: it so a focusologist is someone who studies and practices the art of controlling and directing the energy of your thoughts feelings, and actions to produce a positive, meaningful result. There you go.
0: Will you say that again just one more time for us?
1: Woo, right? (laughs) There's a lot of good, good stuff in there. It's someone who studies and practices... Because we need to practice if we're really serious about it, right? An ologist Mm. practices Mm -hmm. and someone who studies and practices the art of controlling and directing the energy of your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions to produce a positive, meaningful result.
0: Hmm. And I'm assuming your position is that anybody can be a focusologist. You just want to lead the path. Is that right?
1: I think that we are all better leaders and all going to be happy. Happier and have more meaning in our lives when we choose to become focusologists. So on one level, it means being aware. There's a reason why I break down focus into controlling and directing the energy of our thoughts, feelings, and actions, because that's what creates alignment in us and alignment with our goals. When we create that awareness of what's important and how we're showing up and, and aligning it to what's meaningful in our lives, Well, boom, we're going to achieve more of that. What has led you to
0: this position where you're like, you know what, this is it. This is the thing that's super important for me to get out into the world. What challenges were you either personally coming across or were you seeing out there that kind of led you to this as the solution?
1: like I said, I think it's there's each of us has like these lessons that we keep learning. And and I say that not because I'm stupid, but <laughs> because it dives deeper into a particular topic. And this is my interpretation of it, right? Everybody sure. interprets their things differently. And, and I would say it started when my father died in a sudden accident when he was on vacation with my mom back when I was 20 years old. And I think that with any you know, great loss, it shakes us at our core to think about what's important to us. Mm. So I think from a very young age, it helped me to get more connected about what was important to me in my life. And, you know, along the way, sometimes we get a little caught up in what's going on and we lose sight of that. Mm. And so then other lessons would come up, right, when I got caught in the minutiae of things and constantly reminding me to step back, to focus on what I can control and can't control. And I, I think there was one more quick story I could share that I think started this trajectory where I was more aware that this is where I was headed.
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: I had just sold my technology business. I'd built it up from just me to a multi million dollar business. But, you know, it was one of those things where it was going great and looked great on the outside, but it was killing me on the inside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and it was because I had lost sight of being able to focus on the things that are most important and more importantly, to let go of some of the things that were less important. And I started to work for this large market research company and literally. Days in, I was asked to join a task force where they were reorganizing the company and I was supposed to be the chief technology officer. Mm -hmm. And within like two weeks through this reorganization, I became the CEO of a holding company responsible for five companies across four countries. And like, boom, like whatever I wasn't, you know, all my dysfunctions in my previous business just came back in magnitude. (laughs) (laughs) cuz you know we think we can put our head in the sand and get away from our dysfunction but really it just follows us and gets bigger right So I went into my boss's office and I told him, you know, I said, Peter, this isn't what I signed up for. And I really don't think I'm the right person for this position. And we talked for a little bit and he listened really empathetically, like a great leader does. And then he said something that shifted my relationship with time and, you know, really brought me to this point of focusologist, another practice, another study. He said, I hired you to make decisions. Mm -hmm. What you do with the rest of your time is up to you. Hmm, And at first I was pissed. Oh my (laughs) God, that is ridiculously oversimplified, right? (laughs) Right? Yeah, for sure.
0: It's it's sort of, I've got this image of you just, you know, sitting on a throne, bestowing your decisions on people and then just enjoying what the rest of your
1: time Exactly. Right. Let them eat cake. Um, (laughs) You know, but when I really thought about it. And I let that sink in, you know, he had to simplify it in that way for it to cut through the complexity that I was creating. He's not saying that, you know, the rest of your time doesn't matter. Hmm. But he's telling me, and this is my interpretation, right? Is he was helping me to understand how to live the 80 20 rule. So, right. 20% of what we do is going to make 80% of the impact. So, if we can identify what that 20% is, and he's telling me that it's the decisions that are going to keep us moving forward. Right. And not to get so bogged down in everything else. It doesn't, you know, and if you make a bad decision, you pivot and you make another decision, right? right. So, you know, so it, it kind of taught me, and I started on this trajectory of living the 80-20 rule, constantly stepping back as a practice mm-hmm. to reevaluate and checking in on that alignment. So that's mm. in a long story, but, you know, I tell that in a lot of my talks around the world because it, it was so impactful for me. And I think a lot of people get caught up in all the minutia and, you know, and it, it really is
0: also just, just the, this notion in our organizations and our culture that, you know, if we're not doing something, we're not moving forward or we're not progressing, you know, we're being overwhelmed right. by this notion of the hustle culture and, you know, nose to the grindstone if you're not putting In 120 hour weeks like Elon Musk, then you're not, you know, being successful. And, you know, to me, that's just nonsense. And it sounds like you had a a fairly similar epiphany.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad I had it early on, right? It's easy to get caught up in that because Mm -hmm. I think that this hustle culture and this, The need for everything to be urgent, right? Mm -hmm. The urgency epidemic, if you want to call it, that's probably more common here in the United States than Mm -hmm. in other parts of the world. So I had the advantage of living for 16 years in Zurich, Switzerland. And it was, you know, completely different. Like here I am in my sneakers, like booking, you know, walking to work and passing, like, you know, like I was on a highway. Right. And wondering, you know, these people are not in a rush to get anywhere. And I over the years I realized it's you don't get there really any faster. And you're missing all along the way when you go too fast. So yeah. you know, I learned to step back and slow down. And that's really what makes us productive. Just going for speed is is going to lead to burnout, a breakdown, or just a, a bunch of mistakes.
0: For sure. And I think maybe also part of the challenge is that for a lot of, I mean, if we, we take the land of a leader, because ton of folks listening in, that's where they are at, is sometimes it's just, you know, there might be this academic understanding. Yeah, like at a penny, 20% of what I do is going to have 80% of the outcomes. That's awesome. But I don't know what that 20% is for me. You know, you had that great conversation with your boss who basically said your 20% is to make good decisions and that'll deliver 80% right. of the results. What have you found or what can you advise or guide folks on who are like, I don't know what that 20% is for me. How do we uncover that?
1: Well, I think first it's to identify, you know, what are you setting as a goal? Mm. Because the 20% is going to be related to the goal. So if it's a personal goal of of wanting to be healthier, well, then what's the number one thing that's going to help you to be healthier? Mm. You know, the thing that's going to make the biggest difference, you know, and it depends on where you are. For some people, it might be sleep. Mm. For somebody else. It might be nutrition and for somebody else, it might be exercise. So, and we know inherently what it is. We resist it, right? We often resist it, but we can test it too, right? Right. So we can test it. So in somebody's business, for instance, depending on where they are in the life cycle of their business, it could be doing more with what they already have. Stop throwing a ton of money into lead generation, for instance, when that might not be the best and most lucrative place for you to go. When you could take advantage of the customer base that you already have. Have, or right. maybe it's keeping your employees happy, right? In today's market where we have the great resignation well you're so focused on getting new customers in or other aspects that you are saying you don't have the do- time to do reviews with your team or to create you know and connect people to the higher purpose and mm. so what do you need to do to make sure that your team is happy that they feel fulfilled that they're leveraging their skills and that they feel valued in the organization so they're there and you might just lay them out in front of you right and say well if I were to take away for 50% of my time, right? Let's simplify it. Mm. If I were to do only one of these three things for 50% of my time and the rest would go to, to everything else, which one would give me the greatest, right? And then it's a process of elimination, the greatest right. impact. Is it this or this? And then your gut will tell you because you know where your business is. Right. And if you don't know, get your leadership team together and discuss it as a team.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's great. And I think it's also, you know, it's funny you go back to that, the your initial example there about, you know, being healthier. I mean, we, we all know the answer. It's eat yeah. less, exercise more, you know, don't drink as much and don't smoke, you know, that's, that's probably, you know, it, whenever it comes to physical exercise, there's some stuff around that obviously, but yet we know that, but that we're always looking for other ways, you know? So we spend time reading magazines about losing weight, or we spend time following people on Instagram who are losing weight and it's kind of like, or getting healthier. And it's kind of like, we can see so often the path to whatever the goal is. And, you know, you take some of those other, you know, organizational goals that are there, but often, and I think this can be the challenge for leaders is the thing that we know we should focus on is not the fun or sexy or entertaining thing. And it usually has a longer term feedback loop for us. And so as soon as something exciting comes up, we're like, ah, we'll abandon that strategy, even though we know inherently it's probably the right thing to do because this looks more fun. Do do you tend to see that? A lot of kind of chasing squirrels going on?
1: Oh, no. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, of course, right? Of course. So we have to, first of all, make it more fun. Right. Right. So that's one thing is maybe the thing that's not so sexy. Maybe there's a way to make it more fun. Right. I mean, it's true that we will make time for anything that we really want to do, right? If I gave you two tickets to like an awesome concert backstage, but you're booked out, you'd find a way to get to that concert. Right, And so I guess it's, we have to be that connected to what the end result is, that it's going to be worth it. It's going to be fun. So we're so disconnected today with ourselves, with each other, with, you know, our goals. And I think one of those key things is to really reconnect yourself and team to what's important and why it's important. Mm. And then make it fun and maybe shorten the feedback loop so that you see that you're making progress, right? Like right. set little milestones and celebrate them and create fun celebrations, right? That right. everybody wants to do. And maybe it is going to a concert or you know something fun or that you could do together. And then I'd say the last thing is accountability and ownership. I should say ownership. I don't like the word accountability. Ownership of any result starts before the process. And that means what do you put in place that supports your success? I call them gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And they block out things that don't belong. So they're like pre-decisions that tell you what you're going to say no to, Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) because you're
1: only going to say yes to these things, you know, and there's a whole slew of different types of gatekeepers that I talk about, but they're the things like rules and filters and things that we set up in our environment. And that might look like a person or, you know, if you're looking to get healthy again, it might be a trainer. Like I Mm. see a trainer. I just started working with a trainer again, because I used to always say this. And then over the pandemic stopped working with my trainer. Mm. And of course- I stopped pushing myself. Mm-hmm. And I realized the last week I started back up again. And I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to work out. <laughs> yes like this is somebody pushing me and it hurts, but I love it, right? So, (laughs) and if I wasn't paying that person, I would not show up. So that's why we have to put those, you know, ownership markers that say, yep, I'm going to own this and I'm going to stick by it.
0: I think that, you know, defining what you're going to say no to is just so, it's such a geek because culturally as well, we've got that terrible notion of FOMO and that if we're not saying yes to everything, and it happens in our organizations, you know, a a customer comes and asks us for the most bizarre demand and we're sort of like, well, if we don't do, you know, if we do this, this could lead onto something Excellent, and it's like, yeah, but it could also like distract you from all of your key strategic priorities that you've already listed out for the year that you know are going to deliver success for you. So, you know, getting clarity on what you say no to, I think, is hugely important. And let me ask you this: you said it on the way through, and I and I I actually don't want to skip past it. Why don't you like the term accountability?
1: I don't like it because it's usually it's usually used in a negative context. It's usually used at the end of a process, like smacking your hand. You need to be held accountable for this, right? And you know, so I like to use ownership. When you own something like feel the energy difference when I talk about it, Mm. like accountability, you know, I'm going to be accountable for that. It just feels heavier. Right. It feels not like, you know, you talked about fun and sexy. It definitely doesn't feel fun and sexy. (laughs) Right. We'll have to build
0: you an accountability structure to make sure you do this. (laughs) Right.
1: Oh yes, please. And then I'll have a root canal right after that. (laughs) Right. But ownership feels good. Doesn't it? Like try that on.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think so. And it, it's less, it more plays on the in, intrinsic motivation that you have to take ownership over it. Whereas if we look at that, you know, the world of accountability, it's, it tends to be more external, like how can yeah. you're going to be accountable for it, but you need somebody to hold you accountable. And I, and I can see that how that happens. But not that, you know, if we used a different worm, I do think finding like to your point with your gym instructor, there is an accountability there because you're turning up and you've got somebody who's helping you through it. But I definitely take your point on, on the negative connotation around
1: it. Yeah. I, I think that with ownership, you tend to plan it ahead of time. Right. Accountability is something you're responsible for, but it doesn't lead me to feel like it, it includes like a planning aspect of it. And
0: everything. Right. Um, You've sort of alluded a couple of times on getting aligned with kind of your values and your overarching purpose. And, and it may just have been because the examples that we used were just the examples that we used. but I get the sense that there's a broader bit of work that needs to happen to help folks control their focus that's broader than just what are your goals. And it's bigger than that. It's kind of like who you are and how do you show up and what's important to you. Is that a part of all of this? Does it fit within this?
1: I would say that there's multiple layers of this. Right, if right? You don't have to go to that level in order to practice, you know, being a focusologist, you could just work on your goals and identify, you know, the 20% in that context, but sure, you know, there's a higher level, which is how to identify myself, what are my values, you know, and identity is one of the most powerful psychological factors in driving our behavior. So, mm. you know, so if I want to set a goal, it's going to be dependent on also as how I define myself. You know, no matter whether you're running a big company or you have your own company, a small company or whatever, your solo entrepreneur, you're going to limit yourself by how you set your identity. Mm. Right. So mm-hmm. if I feel like I'm a million dollar producer, then I'm going to hit that million dollars and I'm going to hit a plateau. Right. If I feel like I'm a $10 million producer and I really believe it, then I will reach that potential, right? So there is more to it in terms of, that's why I put in there the uh, controlling and directing the energy of the thoughts because that's mm. where our beliefs come in and our feelings and how well our, we manage our emotional intelligence mm-hmm. comes in there because how we communicate with others plays a big role also in our success and creating meaning in our life. So it's all intertwined. It goes very deep, sharp deep. <laughs>
0: Right. But there's also then there's got to be a tension as well between that overarching identity, because yeah, I get it that if you say, oh, I'm a million dollar producer, then you're probably going to cap out of that. But if you say, you know what, I choose to be a million dollar producer because it allows me to also focus on X, Y, and Z, let's say family fitness and fun or something else out there. There's positivity in that, right? We don't, there's again, culturally in, in this part of the world, there's sort of this notion that for every aspect of our life, all of the lines have to go up and to the right. You know, if you are saying you're a million dollar producer, well, then that's somehow, you know, you are limiting yourself. But if I say that's what I want to do, because it allows me to do these parts of my life, that's part of a broader picture of identity as well. Right. So there's tension between those parts.
1: Well, that's interesting to think about whether there's tension between the parts. I would say yes and no. You can still choose to, because I'm assuming that you're thinking that those things that are important in your life, that you'd have to work more in order to earn more and therefore you're making a sacrifice. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. I mean, I have a general philosophy that's probably grounded more in my laziness rather than anything else that you can really only progress three aspects of your life at any one time. So, you know, take career, take family, take fitness, take friends, take fun, pick three of them, because if you're going to maximize those, you probably don't have time for other stuff. But like I said, that's just my perspective.
1: Yeah. I think if you were to pick the 20% in each of those areas that you probably Mm. could maximize each one. Right. Right. And that's, you know, so, and it depends what that means to you. Right. You know, so for me, relationships mean quality time, not necessarily the number of hours that we spend together or minutes. Right. So, you know, so if I create a great trip with family and friends and, you know, different ways to achieve. So I, I think we just get to challenge our thoughts around that. But Mm. so I don't think that there needs to be tension between what's important to us and our financial goals. I I don't believe that. I believe we can have both. We can now, of course, if you're going to set a really massive, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal, then you may be choosing. I agree with that. You may be choosing that some of those areas are less important to you. Right. right. Yeah. I agree with that, but that doesn't mean that let's say, you know, that you are the $10 million producer, but you choose to to make 1 million that, or do your life differently. That's not saying that you limit your identity. Hmm. It's just clear on what's important to you. Right. Yeah,
0: I love that notion of if, if you could find that 20% in each of those areas, then yeah, you're not, you don't have to work 40 hours a week on each of those areas to improve them. And right. all of a sudden you've got some time. I think that's fantastic. So if anybody's listening in thinking, Hey, this is awesome. Love this. You know, what, what are the first steps in becoming a focused so this, how do, How do you get involved in that process? How do you start it?
1: Well, I think you start by just creating some awareness, mm. right? Awareness of, you know, it depends on take a particular challenge that you're having mm-hmm. and break that down and understand it a little bit better. What are the thoughts that are creating that challenge?
0: Mm.
1: What are, you know, when have you had this challenge in the past and how have you dealt with it? So, Understanding what's working and what's not working, you know, understanding what's distracting you versus what energizes you. So just creating some awareness. Mm-hmm. So for instance, uh, you know, people are welcome to check out my website. There's a free distraction quiz on there. Mm-hmm. And it, it just kind of gives us, because there are things that we have control of in our lives and there are things that we don't. And I believe that uh, the things that distract us are those things that are like learned helplessness. We've decided to allow them to distract us. Right. But we really have control over them. So when we create some greater awareness, then we can take greater ownership to reducing those so that we don't say we don't have the time. we rather be proactive and eliminate the things that waste our time Right. so that we can focus on those things that do matter to us.
0: And I think that's a huge one is to learn helplessness. So many times I've heard a leader say to me, well, I can't do that thing because either my boss won't allow me, the team won't allow me, the culture won't allow me, the organization won't allow me. To which my response is almost always, well, when was the last time you actually pushed a that assumption. And the answer yeah. is almost always either I actually never have, or it's been a long time to which it's like, well, then start pushing your boundaries and see where you're, where that control really truly ends or starts. Because I do think that we have a tendency to limit our, what we believe our circle of control is. And it, it can be much larger than, than we actually
1: think it is. I totally agree with that.
0: So then expanding it beyond any individual. I mean, I know a lot of what we've talked about, you know, you personally have control over it, putting this into practice, but How do you then encourage this sort of philosophy and perspective within your team? Because I can only assume that if you can grow a team of focusologists, then, hey, you're really spending time on the work that truly matters.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can do. You know, one of them is, let's say you've you've just run a project. Mm. Are you really stepping back after the project to take a look at what worked and what didn't work? Right. What were some of the, like you said, assumptions, right? Those are coming into the thought aspect of things is, you know, where have we made assumptions here that had we not made them? we could have done something different or more planning before you start something into really thinking about what are the assumptions we're making? How else could we look at this to approach this problem or this project in a different way? So I think it's very much a leadership aspect of helping people to move in the direction of becoming focusologists is setting the frame. A simple question can totally shift our focus from one area to another, right? Hmm. If you see that your team is so problem oriented, well, how do you shift them to, to, to be looking more at the solution that you want to find. Because when you're problem focused, you tend to be more blaming, complaining, criticizing, right? You're Mm. getting further stuck in the problem versus being in the solution finding mindset, which is outcome oriented and collaborative and innovative and so forth, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And, And you touched on two things that I think that we in our organizations aren't that strong at, which is planning and learning. You know, we've built a really robust reactionary way of deciding what needs to happen and then going, go and doing it. And it's that sort of response to the false urgency of the world that we live in. So we just feel like we need to make decisions and then go and do it, make the decisions and go and do it. But actually the quality of decisions really gets elevated if you spend a little bit at the front end planning and a little bit at the back end learning, not so that you get mired down in bureaucracy and you're not moving forward, but that actually as a team, as an organization, and even as an individual, you're improving as you go through the process.
1: 100%.
0: So Penny, where can folks find out more about you and the wonderful work that you do.
1: Well, thank you. They can go to pennyzanker 360com or pennyskeynote.com. It'll go to the same place. Excellent.
0: We will make sure to put all of that in the show notes. Penny, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I'm going to go off and, and figure out what the 20% is that I need to do to make 80% of progress. So thank you for sharing all of your thoughts and perspectives. Really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Lead Like You Give a Damn. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about me, the show or the work that I do, you can go to DaveMcKeown.com and I'll see you next time.